Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you today. And those that are joining us online, welcome. We're glad to have you a part of our family and friends today together. Uh, I believe God has you here on purpose, whether you're in the house at our 930 or you're joining us online, 930, 11, and again tonight at 5 o'clock. I just, uh, I believe that God has something he's going to speak to all of us today here, here at Faith Church. Uh, we really believe that uh, God, uh, that we, we get to partner with the Lord to bring faith to life, to help people take their next steps, to, to belong to the family of God, become a disciple, and build God's kingdom, and uh, we're, we're thrilled, and uh, we, we, we mentioned earlier, and you'll hear it again at the end of our service, that um, we have a course called Growth Track, and if you've not participated in Growth Track yet, I want to invite you to consider doing that. Uh, it starts next Sunday uh, during the 11 o'clock hour. It'll happen via Zoom as we still try to do our best to social distance and uh, respect those things, and so uh, it, it's going to be a great three-week course. Uh, you can take them in any order, one, two, three, two, one, three, um, however uh, it works for you over the course of time here, uh, but it's your first step to get to know us as a church. To uh, It's your on-ramp to beginning to participate in the mission that God has for us as a body and answers a lot of questions and helps you uh, assimilate into the family here, and so if you haven't participated in Growth Track yet, do so. Step one is next Sunday, and then second Sunday of August will be step two. Third step is on the uh, third Sunday in August, and um, so if you haven't done that, do so. Uh, well, if you got your Bibles, join me in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21 is where we're going to be today as we continue these conversations around the illustrations of Jesus. We've been looking at the different parables that Jesus told. Uh, in, in an attempt to understand the kingdom of God, our part that we get to play in it, and uh, kind of understand who God is, his character a little bit. And so it's been a fun study so far. I hope they've been uh, impacting your life. But I want to give you a little bit of context to today's parable. In, in Matthew 21, there are several events that occur right before Jesus tells this one parable that we're going to look at, the parable of the two sons. See, uh, right at the beginning of Matthew 21, Jesus gets on a donkey, rides into Jerusalem, and everybody's shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. They're throwing a big party. It's a rally in the streets. Uh, what's crazy is that just a few days later, those same people would be turning on a dime, yelling, crucify, crucify, crucify. Oh, how quickly cultural opinions can change. And they turned on a dime, and so Jesus had wrote in, they, they're like, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was a big party, and, and then uh, he goes out of town on his way to Bethany. He sees a fig tree that doesn't have any fruit, and he curses the fig tree, and the tree withers, and it no longer is able to produce fruit. It, it dies, and everybody's kind of bewildered at that. And then Jesus goes back and begins to teach in the temple, and we have a long set in, in Matthew's gospel in particular, starting in chapter 20 all the way up to the, to the Last Supper and his betrayal and crucifixion, Jesus goes on a long, um, extended, I don't want to call it a rant, but kind of a thematic set of messages where he is rebuking and coming against and adding contrary ideas and teachings to the religious folk. He's talking to believers, those who are considered in the covenant of God, and he's sharing some things that are pretty confrontational and getting to the motives of some things, and he has some hard-hitting truths that he 
presents to them all. And this is kind of where we find Jesus teaching in the synagogue. He turned over some tables already and reprimanded them for taking advantage of people who wanted to worship by, by, by uh, the greed that had consumed so many. And all of these things come into existence. And this particular parable in Matthew 21, starting in verse 28, uh, Jesus is specifically talking about the Israelite people, those that didn't follow God and those that did claim to follow God by obeying the law. And he contrasts these two people. Now, you need to understand this about uh, biblical kind of reading and interpretation. Oftentimes, there is a specific context that the the writer, the event, the teaching, there's a specific context that, that Jesus is talking into, a specific thing that he's referring to and referencing. But just because it is a specific point that he is making doesn't mean that it doesn't have general principles. You'll see this often through scripture where, where, where there is a specific thing that's being addressed, a specific topic, a specific truth. But it often, while it has immediate implications for the first century listener, it has a broader principle or understanding or perspective for us to get a hold of. And that's what's happening in this parable. Jesus is talking specifically about and to the religious or the Israelites, God's chosen people. And he uses this contrast in his parable today, in this illustration the story that he tells to contrast two different types of people, if you will. Two different types of people. Two different people have different paths, different stories. But, but both the same impacted by the words of Jesus. Matthew 21, starting in verse 28. This is the, the story Jesus tells today. He says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. Everybody say two sons. And he went to the first son. And he said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. And the son responded, I will not. How many of you know that answer probably wouldn't have flown in your house? I don't know if you were like that. If I said, nah, I don't think so, mom. I would have been on the floor, mouth bloodied, right? Like, you just don't talk that way. But again, this is a story. It's not real life. So let's go with the story. He says, I will not, he answered. But later... He changed his mind. Everybody say, changed his mind. And he went and he worked. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. That would you go work in the vineyard today? And that son answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. I love how Jesus doesn't actually affirm whether they were right or wrong. He doesn't actually answer the question that he himself asked. He just simply pivots to the truth that he wants them to understand. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you then, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they did and even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Today, I want to bring a message entitled, Never Mind. Never mind. In the chat, I want you to type it all over the place. Never mind. If you're in the house, I want you to turn to your neighbor and go, ah, never mind. Go ahead. Turn to him and say, ah, never mind. Never mind. Never mind. 
Never, never mind. Scripture, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Here's a big truth for us today. Scripture seeks to speak truth to us. Scripture seeks to speak truth. Jesus starts this whole story with, uh, tell me, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Now, I think it's important to know Jesus wasn't really asking for their opinion on truth. He was asking them to assess what they were thinking to see if what they were thinking aligned with what is true. This is what Scripture does. It asks you questions and it wants you to read scripture, to read the Bible and to say, here's what your thinking is and here's what truth is. Are they in agreement or are they at odds? Is there alignment? And if there is not agreement, if your thinking, in your opinion, if your preferences, if they are at odds with what the truth of God's word says, you need to be somebody that says, never mind, I've changed my mind. I'm going to go with what the word says. I'm going to go with what the Bible says. Never, never mind, I'm going, to, I'm going to go in this direction. Never mind, I'm going to go here. Jesus isn't really asking for what your opinion is. We're really asking them, hey, what you, tell, me, tell me, which one should we do here? Which son should I let into the kingdom of God here? Which one is going to be the better one? Which one should I leave my inheritance? No, no, no. It's, it's not up for real debate. It's an issue of what are you thinking and what is scripture saying? And if they are not in agreement, then something needs to shift, needs to align. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It penetrates dividing, dividing between and distinguishing between and, and creating a distinction between what is your soul and what is truth in the spirit. It, it divides between a joint and a marrow. It judges the thoughts and your very attitudes. That's what scripture, it's trying to speak some truth to you and to me. James 1 writes and he says, don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Listening to the word and saying that is truth can still deceive yourself. When you listen to the word, but you do not do what it says, he goes on to say, it's like anyone who listens to the word and doesn't do what it says. It's like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and looking at himself goes away and immediately forget what he looks like. Whatever looks intently into the perfect law, that's scripture that gives freedom and continues in it. Not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. They will be blessed in what they do. In other words, when we come to scripture, when we hear Jesus' teaching, we can't be looking at the mirror and then walking away and not doing anything with it. We, we can't look in the mirror and be like, oh, that looks really good. Yeah, you look good. Let's go ahead and go. And you walk away from it. No, he says you've got to look and look intently and let the word read you. You don't just read the word. The word reads you and it penetrates and it divides and it comes in against and it comes in contrary. In other words, messages and sermons and scripture and when you read devotions, it's not just for those people. Oh, I hope this person's listening to this. Oh man, I really hope my husband's paying attention today. He really needs, it's not for those people, it's for this person. Come on, the word of God is for this 
person. It's to get into my heart. It's, it's to get in here and, and not just distinguish what's going on, but to help me decide not just what is true, but to live out the truth. It's not just about reading and understanding. It's about application. It's not just about arguments and being right. It's about heart transformation that leads to an action later. This is why uh, in, in our life journals that we put together for this uh, summer study where we're going through the Gospels, and if you haven't picked up a free copy of the summer study and this journaling, make sure you pick one up at our Next Step station. If you're watching online, you can go to our central hub and download a digital version of this. But in the reading plan, we're reading through, but we're really trying to help you learn how to journal and we use this acronym called SOAP, Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. Pick a scripture, write an observation, figure out, write down how it applies to your life, and then write out a prayer. The reason why I love using this method or this pattern when I read scripture for me is that the goal is not to just hear truth, the goal is to decide how to apply the truth. And Jesus doesn't want you just to hear the truth. He doesn't want to just speak the truth. He wants to speak in such a way that it gets into your life and you begin to apply it. It gets into your life where you begin to do something because you've changed your mind about what you've thought before. Helps you change your mind. Never, Never mind, never mind. I think it's interesting that in this story that Jesus tells, towards the end of it, he mentions John the Baptist. And he says, John the Baptist came and he preached about repentance, which is just a biblical word for changing your mind and direction, moving in a different direction, going a different way. That's all repentance is, changing your mind about something and moving in a different direction. And he says, John, John the Baptist came and he was preaching some really good things about repentance and you didn't listen. You didn't let it, you didn't let it sink in. You thought it was for somebody else. In fact, they thought it was so much for somebody else that even when the people who heard it, the repubates of their society, the lowest of the low, the tax collectors, those scums, and the prostitute, how filthy, I would never. They began to see their lives transformed by the message of repentance where they changed their mind about their life compared to the truth of God's teaching and even the religious people they heard it and they saw the life change and they still rejected it in Luke 3 you find this exact occurrence in Luke 3 starting in verse 8 John the baptizer is teaching and he says produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves well, we are of our father Abraham we were born in America therefore we have it all together i've gone to church since i was little my parents had a bible i went to sunday school and vacation bible school we've we've got it together for i tell you that of of these stones god could raise up a child on his own if he wanted to in other words if god really wanted to he could replace you with a rock and be just as happy now he's using hyperbole and we all know that that god loves People, like he gave his self, so let's not take it too far there. But he goes on to say, the axe is actually ready at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked John. What's our next step? John answered, anyone who has two shirts, shirts, I got to be careful. 
It's church. Anyone who has two articles of clothing should share with the one who has none. Sometimes you get tongue-tied and it just isn't a good thing. It's on YouTube. It's going to be remixed in a meme. Please, Jesus, no. What should we do then? Even tax collectors came to be baptized. And they said, teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than what you're required to. Change your mind. Go a different direction. Do something different than what's required to. And then some soldiers came and asked him, what should we do? He said, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Just be okay with the pay that you have. All of these things, people were beginning to have their lives transformed because they decided my life is going in this direction and I'm going to be like, eh, never mind. It's not working. I'm going to come this direction and see if it produces more fruit. It's a repentance. It's a, eh, never mind. I'm going to change my mind. I, I changed my mind. Never mind. That, that's not working. That's not truth. That's not the way of the God. I'm going to go this direction. And no matter their past or history, they repented and began to see uh, the favor and the blessing of God in their life. Listen, the religious people became so consumed with the method of the message that they denied the very fruit of the message. The religious people, they, they saw that these sinners were coming to faith in Christ, and they were like, nah, I don't like the method. I don't like this John the Baptist guy. I don't think he's the best communicator. I don't really like his style. It's not my thing. It's not, it's not my favorite. I don't like this, and I don't like that. Therefore, because I don't like the method, therefore the message has to not be reputable either. They begin to throw it all out. And they miss the very reality of what God came to do, and that's turn hearts back to the Father. They became so consumed with sin in other people that they missed out on the surrender of their own heart. So Jesus tells a story of these two sons. The first son, the father goes and says, Son, would you, would you please go work in the vineyard? There's so much work to be done, it's harvest time. And the first son was like, I'm good. I don't do that. That's not my way. It's not my jam. I got other priorities today. And he left, but something happened, and he changed his mind. And at the end of the day, he was found in the vineyard, helping bring in the harvest. In other words, the first son, he resisted, but he eventually repented. He said, never mind, I change my mind. He repented. It's not the route that takes you to repentance that's important. It's the fruit that results from your repentance that's important. In other words, the, Jesus isn't saying you have to live a really sinful life and then repent, and that's really the ones who are saved. Because if that's the case, my life doesn't count in the kingdom of God. I didn't live one of those really, really sinful lives. I didn't smoke, I didn't chew, and I didn't run around with girls that do. Like, so, so like at what point, I grew up in church, I was there all the time, I memorized scripture, I did all of these things, but yet my heart still needed to repent. It's not the route you take to come to a place of repentance that matters to God. It's that your heart does come to a place of saying, never mind, and you repent, and fruit shows up after. So the first son resisted, but he eventually repented. And then the second son, 
He spoke righteously, but he rebelled. He spoke righteously, but then he rebelled. He said, yep, I'm in. I'll do it. But he never followed through. He gave the appearance to his father and those in authority that he was in. But he didn't live it out. Now, why didn't he do it? I, I, I don't know. It's a great question. Why don't many of us hear the voice of our father and the invite to work in the vineyard? And why don't we follow through sometimes? Do we just get too busy? Like, oh, man, I really wanted to, but this came up and this came up and this came up, and I can't really serve God with my whole heart now because I have other priorities now. Was, was it simply a matter of I just want to save face and tell him that I'm good with it, but I don't really mean it? I mean, I'm here because my spouse wants me to be here. I don't really like Jesus. I don't really do the Jesus thing, but I'm here to keep peace because if mama's happy, everybody get to be happy. So I'm here to make mama happy, and then it's all good, but I'm not really going to live it out. We, we say one, and then we do, do another. We, we, we say we want to see life change, but what happens when it doesn't change. Many of us are living in a season right now where we ask God, God, would you slow our lives down? We need more time. We need this. We're running frantic. And he's like, all right, fine. I'll stop the entire world. Ready? Everybody stay home. And we're like, God, why are you doing this to me? Oh, Lord. We're like, relent, oh, God. Relent, oh, God. Now, I'm not trying to say that the Lord sent this virus into the world because to be honest, I don't have that kind of theology. I don't believe that to be true, but I do believe that God will redeem any and every moment and season of our lives because every season is meant to produce fruit, and any season where our lives don't produce fruit is a season we get to repeat. You want me to say it again? Every season of our life is a season God designed for us to grow and be fruitful. And where we do not produce fruit in a season, we get to repeat it until we do. Why? Because God is truly after fruit in our lives. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. God's will is for our life to bear fruit. God's, God's will. What's God's will, pastor? For you to bear fruit. What does he want in my marriage? What's the point? For you to bear fruit. What is the reason I'm in this place, in this job, doing this thing? It's to bear fruit. Why do I have this family dynamic in a child that's got this illness and this thing? What's the point? The point is so that you would bear fruit. What about my financial situation, God? I, I don't know what my, your will, God's will for our life is to bear fruit. That's what he's after, friends. In Matthew 21, 18 and 19, I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but the very thing that occurred was Jesus saw a tree that wasn't bearing fruit and he cursed it. Why? Because the intended purpose, the will of that tree, the purpose of that tree was to bear fruit. John 15, Jesus says, abide in me and let my words abide in you and then you will bear fruit. And if you do bear fruit, I'm gonna prune you so that you can bear more fruit. And if you are connected and you're not bearing fruit, then I'm gonna prune you. So you're pruned if you do and you're pruned if you don't. Because God's will is that your life would bear 
fruit, that you would grow and flourish. Listen, hear me very, very clearly. This is going to help some of you. It is our belief that determines our access to heaven, but it is our behavior that determines how much of heaven we experience now. It's your belief that sets you right with God and gives you access into eternity with him. But it is your behavior while on the earth that determines how much of heaven you experience on the earth. If you want to experience God's best in your life, it starts from a place of obedience, of hearing his word and applying it to your life and seeing God transform. Any area where you are not experiencing God's best, any space in your life where it doesn't line up with God's best, it is possible that in that place there's something that God is waiting for you to see, some, some, some obedience factor that might be at play. That might be at play. And it's all about God's version of best, not your version of his best. See, your version of God's best and God's version of God's best might not be the same. That's why we need to read scripture, let it align our lives and come in agreement with the truth of God's word, not be at odds with the truth of God's word. Belief is always the beginning point. It's always the beginning point, but it is our choice to apply and act that is our next step. Coming to faith in Jesus starts with a moment of belief, of surrender, of admitting that he is God and you are not, but it ends with a life of a decision that I'm going to obey today, that I'm going to obey tomorrow, and then I'm going to obey the next day. It's a consistent purpose. Why? Because the purposes of God, the will of God for your life is that you would bear much fruit and fruit that would remain that's God's desire, his plan. He wants it for your life. He's waiting for it to happen. He wants to partner with you. He wants you to see that fruit grow in your life. But it takes a partnership on our part. Here, here I want you to understand this. The purposes of God must supersede the passions of our heart. You might be really passionate about something. Politics, you could be passionate about your kids and your family, passionate about sports and athletics, passionate about rodeo and ranching, and maybe passionate about vegetable gardening, crocheting. I don't know. What, what are you, golf? Thanks, Lord. <laughs> like, the passions of our heart must take a back seat to the purposes of God. God has a will that it is designed. God has a will for your life when it relates to how you do money. God has a will for your life on how you do marriage. God has a will for your life. He has a say in how you do your career. He has a say in what you do with your sexuality. God has a will for all of those things, but if your passions override his will, you won't produce fruit. Proverbs 11 verse 30 says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And the one who is wise saves lives. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. This week I got an email from uh, a, a lady in our, our congregation and the Lord had been speaking to her from this verse, Proverbs 11.30, and had given her a vision. And I want to read you this vision because it, 
epitomizes God's will for our lives to bear fruit and why it's important that we bear fruit. And uh, so she sent me this email, and I want to read it to you. It says this. It says, in my reading a couple weeks back, one scripture verse caught my attention and made me think of a vision I had during my prayer time. Proverbs 11.30 says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and the one who, who is wise saves lives. Also, your sermons have been continuing to reiterate that vision to me as well especially this week, regarding the mustard seed growing into a large plant that serves others. That was last Sunday's sermon. Anyway, several weeks ago during prayer time, I had this vision of many people in our church building, our congregation, and from each individual started a vine or a root growing upward and intertwining with others to form a massive tree that continued to grow up and out of the building. Once outside of the building, the branches kept growing outward, covering a very large area that people were finding shade beneath. Eventually, it grew down to the ground, giving protection and safety to all that were inside under its shade. It just hit me how very heavy the impact and outreach, both spiritually and physically, the well-rooted body of Christ is having and will have in these increasingly uncertain times. Come on, if you agree with that, would you just say amen? Let it be in my life, Lord Jesus. Let it be to us, O Lord. As a church, I can tell you this, that our deepest desire is that we point people to Jesus. The soccer mom who can't stop gossiping. The business person who has been consumed by greed the person unable to control their temper, the, sec the, the, the person who's secretively addicted to porn, the alcoholic and the addict struggling to be free, the blue-collar factory worker who distrusts anyone in authority or is frustrated by those who don't work for a living, the self-righteous, the sincere seeker of faith, and the skeptic alike, we say welcome and we show you the way to Jesus. We are this group intertwined together, growing strong in our faith, not just for our own sake, but so that the fruit of our lives is good for other people so they can taste and see that God is good. Friends, Jesus is our only hope. So we choose to point people to him. He loves them enough to address the places in their heart where they not be, may not be experiencing his best. You and I aren't the fruit inspector. Jesus is. He's the one who says, you're not bearing fruit. Let's prune this back. You're the one who is bearing some fruit. Let's let it grow. Jesus is the one who addresses the issues of our heart in his timing, in his sovereignty, with his grace and mercy and his unending love that has the power to transform a life. You and I don't have that power to change someone else. It's only by the spirit of God that it happens. He's our only hope. And if we can live with this humility in our hearts, with an open heart to him, and we can treat each other with this grace, then God can be God in all of our lives. From the beginning of Amber and my time serving as pastors here, this has been at the core and the root of everything that we've decided to do. This has been the heartbeat and our prayer is that from the beginning of our time here that this place, Faith Church, would be a place where the overly religious, the rebellious, and those sincerely seeking to know God could come 
and belong here. Even if they don't believe everything just exactly right, they can belong here. I don't know where you're at in your journey. I don't know what's going on in your life. I just want you to know that God's will for your life is that you would bear fruit. Here's the second thing I want you to take take away from today and from the story that Jesus told. And that's simply this, that the past doesn't disqualify our future fruitfulness. Your past, as good as you think it is, or as bad as you know it is, doesn't disqualify you from bearing fruit in the future. God is a God of fresh starts. He's still in the business of welcoming those who at one point said no. The first son said no, but yet he was welcomed in the vineyard later. Had a place to serve and to be a part and to allow his life to be a part of the harvest. God is a God. Somebody needs to hear this today. God is the God of second chances, of third chances, of fourth chances, of fifth chances, of 70th chance. He is the God of multiple. His grace never runs out. I love how Lamentation says it in the, in the message paraphrase. It's a verse you would recognize in another version, but let me read it to you like this. It says, God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. They are created new every morning. How great is your faithfulness. I'm sticking with God. And I say it over and over again. He's all I've got left. Your past failures doesn't determine your future fruitfulness it's your willingness to surrender and obey today that will determine the next season's fruitfulness titus 3 3 and 5 says for we ourselves we were all once so foolish disobedient deceived serving various lusts and pleasures living in malice and envy hateful and hating one another But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Philippians 3 says, what is more, I I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Savior, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, All the things in life that you think are the most important, it's garbage. It's garbage. Why? Because I want to gain Christ instead. I want to be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law and winning arguments and proving to other people how dumb they are and how wrong they are and they ought to do this and do that. It's not because we're trying to chase people down and create behavior modification for them. No, no but rather which through faith in Christ, the very righteousness that I sought came from God on the basis of faith. In other words, anyone who's willing to say, never mind, that was wrong, this is right. Never mind my life that I thought was the most important, I did it on my own, now I'm gonna do it God's way. The person who simply says, never mind, and they repent, Jesus says, there's great fruitfulness ahead for you. There's great fruitfulness ahead for you. You might be wondering, well, Pastor, how is it just simply repenting that helps me become and bear fruit? No, there's actually a step in this process. And I want you to hear, hear this very clearly. Here's kind of the whole sermon in three words. Are you ready? Surrender 
determines fruitfulness. Surrender determines fruitfulness. The more we surrender our will and we walk in obedience to God's will, the more fruit shows up in our life. It's as simple as hearing God's word and applying it. Hearing what is truth and obeying it. The more you surrender, the more fruit shows up in your life. Proverbs 3 verse 6 says, In all your ways, submit to him. Somebody say it. Submit to him. Say it again. Submit to him. And he'll make your path straight. You want to see fruitfulness in your life? Submit to God. Surrender. Say, never mind, not my will. Not my way. Not my agenda. Not my preference. Not my methods. Your will, O Lord. Your ways, O God. Not not my will. Never mind, God. Not my will. But yours. When you surrender your will, it is a death of sorts. Don't miss this. Galatians says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it's Christ that lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Why? Because surrender is a death to your will and a resurrection of Christ's will at work in your life. I don't mean to get all theological on you, but let, so let me take it back to farming Being buried is what seeds must do in order to produce anything. Being buried like a death in the ground, taking my will and saying, I'm burying it here. That's what allows the seed to eventually produce something. It is when you stop and you say, God, I'm surrendering my will to your will. My passions are going to be overridden by your purposes. My priorities are taking a backseat, God, to your priorities. I'm going to do money and and life and marriage and family and career and my sexuality. I'm going to do it your way, God, not my way. I know what I'm screaming inside. I know what I want to do. I know what I think I'm figuring out about myself, but it's not my will, God. But it's yours. Our belief is what begins our faith, but it is our obedience to his word that brings the fruit. Remember, God is after you bearing fruit in your life. Here's my question. Are you ready to surrender to Jesus? Now, many of you said, oh, that's for somebody else who has never been saved before. But remember, scripture isn't just for them. It's for this one. It's for me. It's for you. It's for us. Where are you acting as the chief operating officer, the chief executive officer of your own life? Where are you the one that's calling the shots in your life? Because where you're calling the shots, God isn't. What's not bearing fruit in your life? Where are you missing seeing God's best? See, God's not trying to get you to obey him because he needs a bunch of robots that all look the same and act the same and do the same. 
It's not about that. It's about fruit being evident in your life. It starts from a place of belief, but it grows to where our lives begin to mimic and look like Jesus. So fruit grows, fruit grows, fruit grows. What is God trying to develop and grow and mature in your life that is right now at odds with your own will and desires and preferences? Maybe your own pain, your own hurt, your own past. What's wrestling? What's at odds? It's not about a religious piety. It's not a personal opinion of morality, nor a self-indulgent rebellion. But it is a choice to surrender your will to Jesus. Jesus himself had to walk through this. He came to a moment, a crossroads. He was in a garden. He was praying. He was about to be betrayed. They were coming to get him, and they were going to take him to the cross. And they were going to kill this religious zealot because they didn't like his message or his methods. They were coming to get him and kill him. And that's okay because ultimately it would be his death that would pave the way for your salvation, my salvation, your forgiveness, my forgiveness. It would be his death on the cross, his, re- his burial, his resurrection that makes it possible for you to have a relationship with God Almighty. And when you choose to put your faith in him, life change happens. It's a, it's a choice to say, God, not my will, but your will. And it was right before all of those things happened. He was in the garden. He was praying. And he was under so much pressure, so much stress, because everything in him said, don't go to the cross. Don't do it. It's going to be painful. It's going to be a bloody mess. It's not going to end well. This is going to be terrible. It's going to hurt. It's going to be bad. You don't deserve this. And Jesus could have justified his own inaction in that moment. And many of us do that. We come to the garden place in our own lives where it's our will or God's will, and we're wrestling, 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 and we justify it to ease our own conscience and to ease our own opinions and viewpoints and we justify it why we don't have to forgive and why we don't have to be kind and why we don't have to be gracious and why we don't have to care we justify it it was in that moment he was at a crossroads god it's either your plan or it's my own will and jesus prayed a simple prayer god here is my will i I don't know that i want to do this if there's any other way let this cup pass from me He acknowledged what he wanted. And then if I could take a little bit of a liberty, he said, let it pass for me. Never mind. Never mind. Nevertheless, not my will. God, never mind, not my will. I, I don't really want my will. I've seen what my will and what human will can produce. Not my will your will let that be done not my will but your will I wonder as we come to a moment of response and reflection of our own hearts and our own lives those watching at home maybe on the car driving somewhere or here in person I wonder if you would be willing to pause just for a moment and to pray the never mind prayer that Jesus prayed to be willing to acknowledge, God, I've been wanting to do money my own way in this way. 
I've been wanting my life to look this way. I've been wanting to do it this way. I've been wanting it to look like this. But God, never mind. Not my way, but your way. God, not my will, but your will. This entire parable, this story, this illustration was all about what's your will? What are you willing to do? Are you going to give lip service and not obey? Or are you going to relent and change your mind and begin to obey? The choice is simple, but it requires a sellout, an abandonment. Not my will, but your will. Would you bow your heads as we come to the Lord's table together? Jesus, you're the ultimate sacrifice. You're the picture. You're the one that showed us what faith in God looks like. You're the one that showed us what a relationship with God could look like. You're the one that showed us what it looks like to live a life of fruitfulness because we live a life full of surrender. So Lord, would you help us in this moment? Would you speak to us now? Would you show us where we've been doing it our own way? And would we maybe repent and say, not my will, but yours? Never mind, God. Your way is better. Never mind, God. I'll do it your way. Would you speak to our hearts right now, Lord? Show those areas to us. And Lord, by way of commitment and surrender, we come to your table recognizing that you are the Lord of our life, the Savior of our soul. On that night, Jesus took some bread and he broke it and he says, this is my body, which I am giving and surrendering for your benefit. Take and eat and do it remembering me. Let's remember that together. A little later, he lifted up a cup. He says, this is the blood which I'm going to pour out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Why? So that your past failures don't have to determine your future fruitfulness. It's my blood poured out for you. Every time you drink it, do it, remembering what I've done for you. Let's remember together. So Lord, here we are, your people, humbling our hearts, opening our lives and saying, God, We've done it our own way in a lot of areas, but today we're saying, never mind, your way, not our way. And may our surrender lead to a greater level of fruitfulness. Seal these moments and this time in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. 
you're if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.